The Seahawks have their $105 million quarterback under contract. What's next for the organization heading towards free agency? Find out in our latest installment of Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast, your daily Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Glad to be joined for our Tuesday episode by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks to all the 12s out there, whether you're listening in Mexico, Canada, or in nearby Redmond. We greatly appreciate you making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We're drawing closer to the start of free agency. We're going to be diving into what's next for the Seahawks after the first big domino fell with the re-signing of Geno Smith. Plus, for Transaction Tuesday, we're going to take a look at three former Seahawks set to hit the market. Which player do you, the fans, believe would be the best fit to bring back for a second tour? Rob and I are going to be weighing in on that as well in a jam-packed episode. Now, for your lead story here on our Tuesday edition of the Locked On Seahawks podcast. Yesterday, the Seahawks rewarded Geno Smith for winning Comeback Player of the Year and having a fantastic 2022 season with a three-year, $105 million contract. More details have come to the fold today, including finding out that $30 million of that is going to be incentives-based. So this is, again, continuing to look like a pretty team-friendly deal, and yet a great opportunity for Geno Smith to earn himself top 10 quarterback money, that middle-tier quarterback contract that everybody's been looking for. John Schneider and company look like they might have hit it out of the park. And listening to Pete Carroll this morning on Seattle Sports 710, my big takeaway, there was a lot of really good stuff that was in this interview, maybe the most candid we've seen Pete Carroll on a number of fronts. But this wasn't just about re-signing Smith for what he did on the field. It's how he handled a really crazy situation, replacing a legendary quarterback last year. And maybe the most notable thing that stood out, Rob, is it was about sending a message heading into free agency about where Pete Carroll and the front office thinks that this team is heading with Geno Smith as the quarterback. And that leads to the big question, what's next? Now that we got free agency coming up on March 15th and then the draft coming after that, uh, this is a critical offseason, and you could tell based on the comments from Pete Carroll today that this is the first big domino. Now they can truly get their offseason rolling in motion. Yeah, exactly. I think that um, I think that, that Pete Carroll kind of he demonstrated just how almost giddy I think that the Seahawks are that they were able to bring back Geno Smith, as you said, on a, a team friendly deal. Uh, Pete Carroll himself uh, said that the Geno Smith kind of gambled on himself a little bit. And oh my goodness, I mean, isn't that exactly the mentality that you would know that Pete Carroll would want to have from the quarterback? And, um, you know, and, and that's exactly what, what Geno Smith did. It, it sounds like, as we talked about, was, was a deal that made sense both for the player and for the team. The fact that there was so many of Geno Smith's teammates who were, you know, kind of reaching out on social media, just congratulating him on this. Uh, I think that kind of getting back to what you said before is, is the real question. And, and what we're going to be kind of talking about in, in today's episode is, is what's next. I think the easy answer is just, you know, refocusing on the line of scrimmage that the Geno Smith was, you know, 
what you had to do. You had to answer the question at quarterback, obviously. But now you can shift your focus to what plagued the Seahawks a year ago, what would be the interior of the offensive line. And obviously, if you want Geno Smith to continue to play at the level that he played a year ago, then you have to answer the, the vacancy that is at the center position because your starting center, Austin Blythe, is not, obviously now has retired. And so just replacing him at that at that position it has to be your, your, one of your very top priorities, at least on offense. And then again, on defense, you have to do the exact same thing because we all know how much Seattle struggled running the football, but or, or stopping the run, excuse me. But to worry about the line of scrimmage would just, at this point, I think would just be to overlook what a monumental move that Seattle and Geno Smith were just able to uh you know come together to do a day ago. So again that that to me is the big story here and, and the, the reason why I think that Pete Carroll was even for Pete Carroll, I mean, we, we know that he's always optimistic. I thought that he sounded just like, you know, as excited as you could expect Pete Carroll could possibly be about the fact that this does look like a team that could have a little bit of flexibility in terms of the, the remaining salary cap that it has. And again, the biggest thing is the fact that you don't necessarily have to address the quarterback position in the draft. You could, that, that you still have that flexibility, this deal provides you that but at the same time it's easy to see how seattle with a pro bowl caliber quarterback and you know the the the, the four draft picks in the top 52 that seattle has they could really be a, a real contender in the nfc west so i think that the Pete carroll is, is feeling like you know what i'm just going to just make my hall of fame credentials look that much better when we're competing for a division title and a play, another playoff spot in 2023 as well yeah, as Carol acknowledged today, there's not a ton of flexibility in terms of salary cap space. Now, we don't know Geno Smith's cap hit for this upcoming season. That information has yet to be revealed. We do know $40 million in guarantees, as I mentioned, $30 million in incentives. And so this is a team-friendly contract, and yet there's a lot of potential for Geno Smith to earn big bucks, top 10 quarterback money. The Seahawks are giving him that opportunity but a good chunk of that money, he's going to have to earn that by continuing to play at a high level. And this protects them some, as we mentioned yesterday. Right now, over the cap list, them with $23 million in cap space. And that is not including rookies. They've got 10 draft picks. And we know John Schneider, that could turn into 11 or 12 when we get to the end of April on draft weekend in Kansas City. But for right now, they've got 10 selections that they're going to have to account for there. And so that's not the effective cap space they had. And that's before Geno Smith's contract is accounted for. So we don't know what that cap hit is right now, but there's not going to be a ton of cap space. The good news is there are a few moves we've talked about a couple of times in the show that they could make releasing Gabe Jackson, either releasing or restructuring Shelby Harris, Quentin Jefferson, Al Woods. They've got some extension candidates like Chinanuosu that they could lower his cap hit if they extended him. So there's a number of things that John Schneider and the front office can do right now to create additional cap space. And that's not even looking at restructures, not something John Schneider has liked to do in the past. But as you mentioned, that interior offensive line, I think that's got to be the next step. Now, maybe they think the center they want is in the draft. They're going to bypass in free agency, but there are some intriguing veteran centers in this free agency class if they want to go that route. And there are some guards that might interest them as well. They did re-sign Phil Haynes, but if Gabe Jackson gets cut, you'd like to have somebody to compete against him, either a rookie or another veteran that comes in to make things interesting. And then the front line on defense, 
You had all the personnel-related issues last year moving to a 3-4. You and I are both under the impression they're going to be making some significant changes there, maybe maybe adding another edge rusher and linebacker, of course. And we'll be talking about it. one candidate to fill that void in the middle here coming up in our next segment, but they've got to figure out what they're going to do with Jordan Brooks' situation. We don't know if Brooks is going to be ready for the start of the season. He might miss a big chunk of 2023 coming off a torn ACL. So as we have talked about time and time again, the trenches on both sides, the linebacker position, those seem like the biggest question marks for the Seahawks that they can now shift their focus to. But of course, there's always those secondary needs too, like adding a third receiver potentially, a complimentary running back to go with Ken Walker the third. You get two tight ends are going to be free agents next year. Maybe you look at a tight end in free agency that can be affordable that you can bring in to add to that group. And so you can't rule out some of those secondary issues too. And sometimes that's been where the Seahawks have done their business in free agency because they haven't had a lot of money to spend. Well, exactly. And that's where I think that, again, Seattle is in a very good position to be able to do that now if they wanted to. Um, you know, I, having looked at the, you know, this year's draft class and all the positions, of course, and, and you know, and really starting to look at the, some of the veteran free agents that are available, one of the positions that I wonder that Seattle may not look to try to address in veteran free agency might be at the linebacker position. And we'll talk about this a little bit because, of course, there is a linebacker out there recently been made available um, that the Seahawks have a great deal of familiarity familiarity with, excuse me, in Bobby Wagner. But I think that there's a lot of other inside linebackers who could kind of fit the bill. And I don't think that this is a draft class that is quite as good. So to me, that is one of the positions that I think that Seattle could be looking for. And then again, at the center position, we talked about this before. I am a fan of this center class. But at the same time, I also will have to acknowledge the fact that Seattle has really preferred to have a veteran center. And so I think that now that you have, obviously, a veteran quarterback, you you are just proving that you are building around Geno Smith at this point. I think that that is something else that they might consider as well. As you may have mentioned a moment ago, there are some good veteran centers out there available in free agency. So to me, those are the two positions you really have to look at in veteran free agency, the center position, and again, inside line. Linebacker wouldn't be surprised at all if the little bit of money that Seattle does have remaining after this deal with Geno Smith, that that might be some of the positions that they look at. There is a former Seahawk that is going to be available on the market in Ethan Posick that could potentially be an yep. option. Had his best season of his career with the Cleveland Browns. But ironically, he is not one of the three players that we are going to be talking about in our next segment. A perfect segue here. Transaction Tuesday, three former Seahawks standouts on the defensive side of the football all set to hit the free agent market. Which one would be the best fit to bring back in 2023? We're going to hear from you, our valued listeners, and obviously we're going to weigh in on the discussion as well. Coming up next on our Tuesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. This episode is brought your way by FanDuel. The midway point of the NBA season season has officially passed, and now is the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook, because new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Then you can bet on everything from the money line to point scores and threes drained. I'm a big fan of betting on player props, including FanDuel's player parlay builder for example you can bet on jaron jackson jr to score 20 points tonight for the grizzlies at plus 100 plus FanDuel even lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same game parlay so don't miss the chance to get your no sweat first bet up to one thousand dollars in bonus bets 
when you go to FanDuel.com slash locked on. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Glad as always to be joined by my co-host in crime, crime, Rob Rang. A special thanks to all the 12s out there, as always, for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. This has become one of our favorite off-season segments. It's time for Transaction Tuesday. What we do each and every Tuesday, we have a roster-related question, and we dish it out to you, the 12s. A chance for you to weigh in on what the Seahawks should do this offseason. And we have a very interesting question that we came up with today because there are three former Seahawks stars on the defensive side of the ball that are all poised to become available for the start of free agency as cap casualties. We've seen a number of cuts the last couple of days. Big name players getting released to open up cap space for teams as they get ready to sign other players in free agency. And there happens to be some big names that played for the Seattle Seahawks at one point that might be available to come back to Seattle. So the big question that we asked, Rob, who is the best fit for a Seattle reunion in 2023? And obviously our three players, Bobby Wagner, the perennial all-pro linebacker, Frank Clark, two-time Super Bowl winner now in Kansas City, really athletic, pass rusher, extremely productive, and former third-round pick Shaquille Griffin, who was a pro bowler for the Seahawks back in 2019. So again, Rob, all three of these players have pretty good resumes from their time in Seattle. Bobby Wagner's got a Hall of Fame resume from his 10 years with the Seahawks. Frank Clark had a 13-and-a-half sack season. As I mentioned, Griffin was a pro bowler. And so this is a really interesting question, and – we put up a poll, and I got to say this right now. We always talk about how much we value our listeners, but 6,071 people voted on this poll. That is insane. Over 6,000 votes you, on this you. poll, and Bobby Wagner won it by a landslide. 67.9%. Frank Clark got 291 and poor Shaquille Griffin only got 3% from those 6,071 votes. And looking at just a handful of responses we got from our listeners before Rob and I get a chance to weigh in here, Jay Luppy on Twitter says, of all three needs, Bobby Wagner is the one that can address without selecting the position High in the draft, a defensive line is the biggest need. With two firsts and two seconds, they can get day one starters who can come in and make an impact on the line. And Matt McMurray agreed, saying Bobby by a large margin, position of need, and the best player out of the three. Tone setter and leader still has elite years left. If they want to make a deep playoff run in the next two years, this is this is an easy choice. We also had several interesting responses about picking Frank Clark to come back for a mm-hmm. second stint in Seattle. This one coming from Alex. Frank Clark would be the biggest splash. He was pretty damn dominant in the playoffs. I know everybody loves Wagner, but that seems less likely, and it would be better to get younger there. Hard pass on Shaquille Griffin. And Matt Cook said Frank is only 29, still has a couple good years in him. Bring a vet presence to the younger guys like Bruce did and makes Edge less of a need to open the door for a little more to consider at quarterback or other positions early in the draft. And then our only response on Shaquille Griffin, I think this was a good point, though, coming from Tim on Twitter. He said, Shaq, I'd like to establish a baseline on the outside and see if Bryant can make it at nickel, draft inside linebacker and edge. 
Bobby and Clark would choke out any opportunity for a youth movement in the front seven. And that's a really interesting point of view there, looking at where the Seahawks are at with a very young roster for the most part. So now I'm going to dish it to you, Rob. We've got Bobby Wagner. We've got Frank Clark. We've got Shaquille Griffin. Three very good football players at three different positions on a defense that needs an infusion of talent. Which one do you think would make the most sense and would be the best fit to bring back in 2023? Well, that's the thing, Corbin. It is a talent or it is a, a tough question. I think it's one of the reasons why we had so many uh, responses. And again, as Corbin said, thank you to everyone out there for just the incredible amount of responses and just the the, the depth of understanding of, of Seattle's roster and team building. I, I'm always impressed. So thank you uh, to all of those uh, you know listeners um, for your responses. I, I have to agree with the majority of them in, in terms of just the fact that, you know, let, let's just acknowledge the obvious that inside linebacker is a position of concern. Bobby Wagner was amazing a year ago for the Los Angeles Rams. I mean, I hadn't seen Bobby Wagner play that way in the last couple of years, frankly, I, I think that, you know, while I think that he has been a very good player and the statistics suggest that he's been a very, very good player. The number of tackles speak for themselves. As you said, Corbin, this is a future hall of famer we're talking about. And obviously the vast majority of his playing career was in Seattle. Seahawks fans know what Bobby Wagner is. He did not play to the level uh, you know, that he played for the Rams this past season. He did not play for the Seahawks that at that level for the last couple of years. I think that Bobby Wagner played like he was pissed off. And, and I was inspired. I, I love the way that he played. I thought it was terrific. I mean, just the, the big plays that he created, and, and including against the Seahawks. I mean, talk about heart. Talk about the, the speed, the playmaking ability in coverage with the interceptions in, in terms of his pass rush. He was fantastic. At the same time, he's still an aging linebacker. And so I think that if Seattle, if there is going to be this magical Hollywood reunion, then I think it's going to be on Seattle's terms a little bit because this is an aging player. I think that he played out of his mind a year ago. A year ago, excuse me. I don't think that you can expect that from him this upcoming season. I think if the Rams thought that they were going to get that player, then they might have tried to, you know, create some type of a deal to bring him back themselves. I think there is going to be some interest from other clubs also. I, I just think that if Bobby Wagner gets a big deal from somebody else, then cool. Go, go continue your Hall of Fame career. It's been a joy to watch you as long as we have. If you are willing to come back, you want to play a little bit different role, be the mentor, be the team leader, and create this kind of second generation of Pete Carroll and John Schneider playoff-bound kind of teams, then, then very cool. But at the same time, you can't pay a guy for what he has done for another club. And, and that's really where the, 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 the idea that I would kind of mention here, I love the idea of bringing Frank Clark back to me. He would add an element of physicality uh, and relentlessness that I haven't seen from very many Seattle pass rushers since Frank Clark left. Uchenna Nuoso being a good example, Bruce Irvin being a good example of what Seattle has always had and Frank Clark ha absolutely had in Seattle lost when they, when they traded him away. I'd love to bring him back again but at a cheap price. And the same thing with, with, with Shaq Griffin. This is a good, talented, still young cornerback. I love the idea of creating a baseline on the outside. You know, Jacksonville hasn't released him yet. I mean, this is a guy who's worth a lot of money, and still they're keeping him around because they're not quite sure yet they want to give up on a guy that even though he struggled a little bit um, in terms of coverage and never has had the ball skills that Seattle has always preferred, at the same time, he's a good player. 
And so I think that any one of these guys, if Seattle is able to bring him back, or Ethan Posa, because we talked about for a moment ago, I think Seattle should be looking to bring these guys back if they can, because they're proven difference makers. At the same time, again, the expectation of how much you're going to pay these players is a heck of a lot less than what they got before, and that's not going to happen for very many of these players. And you mentioned the elephant in the room here, and it's cost, because as we just talked about in the first segment, the Seahawks are not necessarily going to be in a position where they can splurge on a free agent signing. And I expect Frank Clark, this is just my opinion, I think he's going to end back up in Kansas City. I think they're going to cut him. I think he's going to test the market. I think the Chiefs would love to bring him back on a deal that's going to be better for their salary cap. He has been so good for them in the playoffs, and he's loved winning Super Bowls, obviously. I think they're going to find a way to make that work. Maybe the Seahawks enter that discussion, but I just can't see them coming anywhere close to paying the money that Frank Clark's going to be looking for. And quite frankly, he has not had more than five sacks in the regular season each of the last couple of years. He's been great in the playoffs. His regular season numbers, though, have been pretty pedestrian. He's going to be turning 30. I just don't see him being a guy that I would be spending a ton of money on. And the Seahawks, quite frankly, can't afford to do it. And Shaquille Griffin's situation, as you mentioned, he might be the most unlikely of these three to actually get cut, even though the reports out there suggest that's what they're going to do. Jacksonville might be in a position where they feel like, you know what, let's stick with him. And so I don't even know if he's going to hit the market. You've got Trey Brown, Mike Jackson, who I think are comparable players. I just don't know that there's really necessarily a need to bring him in for the money that's going to be required to sign him. I just think of these three players, Bobby Wagner would be the one that makes the most sense based on need. I think he would be the player that you would have the best chance to bring in. He's not going to necessarily take a super cheap deal, but the idea that he can finish his career where he played his first 10 seasons. And this is an ascending team that looks like it's going to be a contender. He says he wants to play for a winning football team. This would be a great chance for him to go back mend fences. I think they already have mended fences with the meeting he had with Pete Carroll after one of the games between the Seahawks and Rams this year. I think that they're on good terms. You bring Bobby Wagner back, it's just going to boil down to money. I think in a 3-4 defense, he's going to be more effective because they can blitz him more often. We saw what he did with the Rams doing that. You can play him towards the line of scrimmage a little bit more. He's not going to have quite as big of zone responsibilities in a lot of cases. I just feel like the scheme matches up with his current skill set really well. And so I think it'd be a good fit. It's really just going to boil down to money. And you could say that with all three of these guys. Posick, as you mentioned, would be another guy that intrigues me, but he was not part of this actual question. So of the three players that we tasked with our listeners, I think you and I would be in agreement that Bobby Wagner, if he could get the right price, would make the most sense. Frank Clark would be a lot of fun. I just think he's going to be way too expensive. And Shaquille Griffin, if he hits the market, maybe that's something you explore. But it just feels like it would be a bit redundant with some of the other corners they have. And oh, by the way, this is a pretty darn good cornerback draft class. Very deep that we are going to be looking at for this 2023 NFL draft. That's a perfect segue now into our closing takeaways. We had several people on social media ask, okay, you guys have covered all the positions, but what are your general thoughts on how this combine went and looking at certain position groups? And I'm going to lead it over to you to start this segment, Rob, because I know you were chomping at the bit yesterday to talk about a certain position group, even with Geno Smith having this extension. As Pete Carroll said, they are looking into the quarterbacks. That is not changing. So, I'm going to let you share some of your thoughts on this very intriguing quarterback class that we got to see on display in Indianapolis. Yeah, I, I appreciate that, Corbin, because uh, I'll, I'll be honest with you. you. You do so much of the heavy lifting here in the Lockdown Seahawks podcast. I mean, you 
cover the the Seahawks every single day, and I cover them three days a week and get a lot of days off. And most of the time, my hell, I'm off fishing. I, I'm like, hey, Corbin's got it handled. I'm good. But watching the combine, I was tearing my hair out because I was so excited. Wanted to talk ball. Wanted to talk about how these prospects would fit in with the Seahawks. And, you know, again, the, the whole point of this is just the idea that, you know, what, what's your grand takeaway? My grand takeaway is that there was, I thought, five players that really fit in with the Seahawks before the combine. And that hasn't changed that much. Although one guy dropped out, one guy jumped in. Jalen Carter, to me, is a player that possibly dropped out. Because of all the concerns that we talked about before, I think that Seattle has to do their due diligence because this is a terrific player on tape, and this is a player who fits in with what you're looking for, what you're missing on defense in such a beautiful way that you really have to consider him. He is absolutely a top two, top three prospect in this draft in terms of talent, in terms of uh, his ability to just change the game. And so again, if you're available, if he's available to you at five, then that obviously would be one of the best players available. But still, because of the concerns that we've talked about, he potentially could drop out. But if he dropped out, then certainly Florida quarterback Anthony Richardson leaped into that gap. And, and so to me, that, that's my big takeaway is I want to talk about these four quarterbacks in Bryce Young from Alabama. I'm just going to mention him in the way that I personally rank them. Bryce Young from Alabama, C.J. Stroud from Ohio State, Anthony Richardson from Florida, Will Levis from Kentucky. I think that all four of them, Corbin, are absolutely in play for the Seahawks at number five overall. If three of the four of them go in the top three picks, three, four picks, and Seattle's looking at Will Anderson, they're looking at Jalen Carter, they're looking at Tyree Wilson, looking at Whoever, I don't care. I think that still the quarterbacks are going to remain in play for Pete Carroll and for John Schneider because like all four of them project as future starters in the NFL. And this is post Geno Smith signing that deal. Bryce Young, to me, is a special player because of just his spatial awareness. He has an instinct and a, and a playmaking ability about him that I think is very, very rare. I think it's most similar to what Seahawks fans have seen with Russell Wilson. The size is obviously a huge concern as it was with Russell Wilson. There's going to be some Seahawks fans who are out there like, hey, Pete Carroll, Josh Schneider run, won with Russell Wilson, draft another 5'10 quarterback. The difference is Seattle drafted Russell at 75, and this guy would have to come at number five overall or earlier likely. So that's obviously a huge difference. But at the same time, what Bryce Young has been able to do throughout his college career, I think, speaks for itself. That's why I still, he is my top-rated quarterback in this draft class, even though he didn't get an opportunity to do anything except measure at the combine. And, you know, that, that's a whole other conversation there. C.J. Stroud, as I've said before, I think is the most accurate quarterback in this class. You put him in your mock draft, Corbin, for Seattle selection. If C.J. Stroud was available to Seattle at number five, to me, it's a slam dunk. You take this player. I think he has Pro Bowl, all pro kind of accuracy. I think that he can be a superstar. And if any of these quarterbacks are Seahawks selection, I think the Seahawks fans should be excited because what this is saying is as that salary cap gets bigger and bigger and bigger, Seattle has a quarterback guaranteed for at least the next five years. If they do their job, if they did a good job of evaluating Geno Smith, they got him for three years and whatever one of these rookie quarterbacks looked in the first round, they got them for five years on Seattle's dictation as far as the, the salary cap. 
rather than paying these players again. So that gives you five years to build yourself a Super Bowl roster. And as, as I mentioned before, again, CJ Stroud to me, I thought that he was the best quarterback in the workouts. I thought that he is the most accurate quarterback on tape. I just love that combination. For me, Rich, Anthony Richardson, my goodness, if you watch the combine at all. He's a, he's a lab specimen. I he's mean, like Tariq uh, Woolen was at corner last year. We, we all know how, you know, Pete Carroll got so excited and literally rips off his shirt when DK Metcalf walked into the room. I, you know, th- there's been already talk about how Anthony Richardson and Pete Carroll kind of hit it off in, in their interview. I can see that because – Pete Carroll just acknowledges great athletes, and that's exactly what Anthony Richardson is. And Anthony Richardson is no dummy, as anybody who listened to his interviews can certainly attest to. And so I think that um, that he would have been very much attracted to the enthusiasm, the history, the rings that, that Pete Carroll brings to the table. And then finally, Will Levis. I'm not as high on Will Levis as some people are, but – the familiarity with Seattle's offense, with the two offensive coordinators at Kentucky that, of course, many Seahawks fans know, coached with, um, you know, Seattle's guys. I mean, that familiarity is huge. The arm strength, the quick release. Uh, I mean, there, there's a lot of things about Will Levis as well. So to me, that was my big takeaway, my long-winded takeaway. I apologize for stealing the mic, Corbin, this entire time, but Again, this quarterback class is legit. And Seattle's opportunity at number five overall, not only to get a great defensive player, but also to possibly set your franchise up for the long haul. I would not be surprised at all if Seattle went with the quarterback at number five. It's all about following that blueprint that Ron Wolf did in Green Bay when John Schneider was there working under it. Now, John Schneider has not abided by that. In his 13 years in Seattle, he has drafted two quarterbacks the entire time, Russell Wilson and Alex Magoo. Uh, It's not like he has been actively trying to replicate what Ron Wolf used to do, where he was drafting the quarterback seemingly every year behind Brett Favre. And think of some of the guys that were there. Mark Brunel being one of them ended up being a really good quarterback for the Jaguars after he was traded away by the Packers. And then, oh, by the way, Matt Hasselbeck, we know him pretty well. Coming over to the Seahawks, he was drafted by the Packers behind Brett Favre. That is what you would like to see John Schneider be able to do here. And he's got the flexibility. We talked about this yesterday with a player like Anthony Richardson. If he is there at number five, which I'm at the point now where I'd be stunned if he's there at five. I think if you want him, you're going to have to move up to get it because of that freak athleticism, the size. And everybody that I talked to in Indy that was in the know, they were talking about how great of an interview that he was. And you can see it when he interviews with media. You could see why this guy would be able to go into a meeting room and take full command and get the attention of somebody like Pete Carroll. And so I think he's going to go very early in this draft, but it gives you an opportunity to get that player early that you haven't had a chance to get because you haven't picked this early. You can get that elite physical talent like an Anthony Richardson or even a Will Levis and groom, develop that player for a year or two behind Geno Smith. If Geno just tears it up the next two years, you can give Geno Smith another contract and you can trade away like the Packers did with Mark Brunel and with Matt Hasselbeck. You can move quarterbacks. But at the same time, if Geno Smith regresses some or if he's just, you know, stagnated, plateaus, you can go to that 
quarterback that has more physical upside that's much younger in a year or two. And so they have created that flexibility for themselves. We could talk about this quarterback class all day, and we're going to be talking about Anthony Richardson and company for the next month and a half leading up to the draft. You can guarantee we'll be talking about these QBs ad nauseum. But the other group that I'm going to be talking about nonstop is the edge and defensive tackle group. And I'm just going to say defensive line in general. Rob, I think that this is maybe the deepest defensive line edge rush group that I have seen in my 10 plus years that I have been covering the draft. I don't know that you've got your superstars like your Nick Bosa's. I mean, Will Anderson might be able to be that kind of a player in the top three picks, but you might not have that guy that is that generational talent that's going to go number one overall. But there are a ton of guys that have first and second round talent. And just seeing the off the charts testing numbers that these guys were putting up at a bar away from Northwestern at 282 pounds running a 449 40. I, that is still mind boggling to me. A 449 40 yard dash for a man of that size that doesn't look like he could fit through an elevator door because of how wide his shoulders are. And that guy was running a 449. And then Nolan Smith at 238 pounds running a 4.39, which was the fastest time for a guy of that weight. It was, you know, DK Metcalf at 228 did a three or 4.33, but we're talking 10 pounds heavier and ran a 4.39 and had a 40 plus inch vertical. If you're looking for guys like Nolan Smith or in that 240, 245 pound range, Will McDonald being another one that can just pin their ears back and fly off the edge of the quarterback, you can find a number of guys that check off that box. If you're looking for a big-bodied guy that can play three-tech, five-tech, all over the defensive line like Atabari, there's a bunch of guys that can do that. You want a big athletic nose tackle or a big run-stuffing nose tackle, eh, you can get those guys in this draft. I've just, I'm incredibly impressed, and I like this group going into the combine but I was really curious to see how they tested and just seeing the numbers these guys were putting up and how fluid of movers a lot of these guys are. And then watching the tape, I think it is the biggest strength in this draft class. There's another defensive group that I think you and I will talk about too that fits in there. But it's, I'm just I'm blown away by the pure number of really good football players at the edge and defensive tackle positions in this class. Yeah, I have to agree with you. I mean, I think of some of the numbers that we saw. Um, you mentioned one of my favorite ones in Nolan Smith, just because of the fact that he's coming off the injury, people had forgotten him a little bit. And uh, you know, talk about reminding people in a very emphatic way. I, I just was really excited about his workout. Um, but yeah, Nolan Smith, uh, Adabare, um, you know, Northwestern, there, there were some spectacular performance. I would have liked to have seen Jalen Carter work out. I would like to see Tyree Wilson work out. There's some really good players that haven't worked out worked out yet along a defensive line to just to kind of even prove your point that much more Corbin but to me the positional group that I think on defense that we have to talk about would be the cornerbacks I mean they were just absolutely spectacular I mean just the the fact that the fastest guy DJ Turner played the cornerback position in Michigan um we, we talked so much about like guys like Joshua Brents um for example from Kansas State I mean not only fast but long and, and tall um as well I mean there's just this is one of those cornerback classes is a really good one. Now, I, I do think that that is a huge position of strength for all of the NFL teams that need them. I don't know that that's necessarily a position of concern for the Seahawks. So I'm going to shift to a group that I've talked about before that I think is strong that a lot of other 
you know, draft fans, draft analysis, whatever you want to call those of us who kind of do this for a little bit of a living as far as, you know, evaluating college prospects. Not a lot of fans out there, it seems like, of the center class, but I am one of them. At the same time, one of the guys that I was that I was excited about, um, and Joe Tipman, he, he, unfortunately, for Wisconsin to decide not to work out. And so that was one of the takeaways for me is not just with him, but the fact that we have a number of prospects who just chose not to work out. Not that that's anything new. We know that's the case. But the way that I saw players kind of, you know, just picking certain things that they were going to do. Jackson Smith and Jigba, for example, the Ohio State wide receiver. We've talked about him a lot. He's one of the players that I personally projected for Seahawks a possibility at number 20 overall. The fact that he ran the three cone, the short shuttle really shut off his great change of direction, but did not run the 40 yard dash. That's really an area of weakness to me. It's the savviness of players and their agents in today's game. Corbin, that I thought was really one of the takeaways for me in a 2023 combine. I've been going to the combine here for almost 20 years now. I mean, you know, they, they say what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. I assure you, what happens in Indianapolis stays in Indianapolis. It's a, a lot of years, a lot of good times. But the one thing I thought was a difference this year was how some of the athletes really chose to do certain drills that really accentuated their strengths. You know, uh, you know Bryce Young getting up there at the podium, but not working out, weighing in but not running or any of those kind of things. Again, Jackson Smith and Jigba, the wide receiver, running some of the um, you know, some of the drills that really accentuate his change of direction, his quickness, but not his straight line speed, not going through the positional drills. Um, you know, those different things. To me, that was one of the real storylines here. And I think that it showed that the center class is not quick. So potentially doesn't fit with Seattle's scheme quite as much. They are strong. They are stout. And I think that that's something that Seattle does need at the offensive line. And that's why I think that this center class actually projects better for the Seahawks than it does for most other clubs. Yeah, I'm a big fan of this center class, and I think there's more depth. I I am with you, though, on the guy. This is just this is going to sound like an old man screaming in the cloud, and I don't care if that's <laughs> how people perceive it because I understand – players can pick and choose what they want to do. But if I was an NFL head coach, and I think this irks Pete Carroll a lot. And I remember him actually answering a question maybe a year or two ago about this during draft season that a lot of times he has advised younger players, like show people that you want to compete and yeah. not running the three cone and the short shuttle. You know, if you're a guy that thinks you're a top five pick, okay, whatever. But like, it's an opportunity for you to compete against other guys that are trying to vie for this big money in the NFL draft process. And I know that it's only a small piece of the puzzle, but like, I, I was amazed only two running backs did the three cone drill. And I, it just it baffles me. Like, wouldn't you want to show teams, especially if you're not a consensus guy that's near the top of the draft board, wouldn't you want to show teams that you have elite change of direction skills as a running back? I would think that you would want to show teams that short shuttle, there was only like two or three running backs that ran it. There are a bunch of other position groups that were the same. And so I know from Pete Carroll's perspective, the competitor that he is, they're drafting guys that skip out on workouts. They've done that the last several years. This is not a new phenomenon, but I know that Pete Carroll and John Schneider and those guys, they are especially interested in the players that are extremely competitive, like Boye Mafe was last year taking part. I believe in most of the drills, if not all of them, they want players like that, that when they have a chance to compete, 
under the lights. They're ready to roll. And so that really would be a big takeaway for me. I, I thought there were a lot more guys that did drills this year than last combine at the same time. I feel like there were some players that maybe missed out on an opportunity that could have helped their draft stock in this process that didn't take advantage of. And, you know, coaches like Pete Carroll would be really interested to see those 40 times and stuff just from the sense, I want to see your competitive vigor. I want to see you go out there and battle against these other draft prospects. And some of these guys didn't necessarily take advantage of that opportunity. As always, you can follow me on Twitter, Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Make sure to check out Locked On Seahawks. We're on all major podcast platforms and streaming on video five days a week on YouTube. Coming up on our Wednesday episode, we're going to shift our focus to looking at some of the restricted free agents, including Ryan Neal. What's the future hold for those guys with the Seahawks? And we're going to start looking at some free agent groups. I know Rob was eager to talk about linebackers. Well, guess what? We're going to look at some linebackers not named Bobby Wagner on tomorrow's show. You won't want to miss it. Thanks for listening in. Go Hawks.